question is, do I need a scripted start for this or not? Or is my bumbling jibber-jabber enough? David Harvey, not that I'm comparing myself to him, but over on his Anti-Capitalist Chronicles podcast, it seems to me that there is a scripted thing going on. A little introduction there. And the same over at Swampside Chats. They've, they've got quite a nice way of introducing it with their sort of background swampy noises and then launching into their introduction of themselves and their and their, mu- their podcast music. Maybe I need to go for that. doing the top 10 thing uh seems to be doing the rounds doesn't it the 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 hashtag academic debate hashtag academic chatter or whatever it is not sure i have a top 10 of things i've done i do have some reflections though going to situate those around present participles i like a gerund i've decided this year maybe that's my first thing thinking about reading and thinking moving movement of theory i'm thinking about writing about my writing about why i've come to loathe my writing about doing what it is that i'm doing what have i been doing how am i going to change my doing and being thinking a lot about my being this year what it means to be an academic in a world that is falling to pieces or it seems like it's falling to pieces and to me the kind of the whole the thinking doing moving reading writing the ing the inging of the world feels important connect to me or for me in terms of some of the ways in which I'm trying to engage with different discourses or ways of seeing the world, ways of knowing the world, ways of engaging in the world that comes from a lot of indigenous scholars, people like Sara Mata or Antonia Dada or Vanessa Andriotti, um, some work by people like John Holloway as well. That is a kind of more active it's a more active thing that's about the present, the flow of the present moment, the fact that we're only ever in the present moment, but we're but we're selling out. We sell our lives short based on our perception of the future, of future moments, and that we're trying to escape the past. So there's there's always this flow of the present, which brings me to my first thing. The first thing that I've been focusing on this year is Hegel. I guess is the is the idea of the dialectic. It is work that's become more important to me by engaging with reading the work of Raya Donievskaya in particular. She's become very important, I think, to my thinking over the course of last year, in particular around why dialectical materialism is important to me and why I, I see it in relation to the historical and the material. But the, the more deeply philosophical nature of our existence 
is something that I've been trying to engage with. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit when I talk about being, my own being in particular. But there is something in that work I, I, I read for the first time, Hegel's work on, on logic, on the science of logic, on nature, on phenomenology, thinking about issues to do with existence and the logic of existence, the idea of the self and the mind, what the mind kind of contributes to our ideas of the world, of each other, as well, the idea of the other, of, the, of who or what is subject and who or what is object, and the dualism of being subject and object in the world at the same time that they're potentially imminent to each other has become very important to me to try and, I guess, get a sense of in part who I am, in part how we move to another world given what is going on in the world. So I've been very interested in that, I guess, about how we connect these ideas or those flows of what it means to exist, how we logically understand that, bringing different kind of components, characteristics, moments of existence into relationship with each other, histories of that, pointing towards the potential for different futures that are anti-capitalist. In particular, I've become more interested or intrigued by Lacan and ideas of symbolism, the imaginary, and whether we can ever define what is real. And I need to do some more work on that because I've definitely got something I want to write about the idea of the dialectical or quantum or Hegelian university that talks about its symbolic power, how we imagine it in its everyday actions and our relationship to it, and that we're always dialectically driving towards what is real without ever being able to describe it or touch it. So that's the kind of first thing that I've been reading about, and it and it's kind of through Raya Dunievskaya's work on dialectics, and then through into Hegel, and really trying to get an understanding of the complexity and the flows, issues around the ways in which different concepts, ideas, realities about the universe are brought into contradictory tension with each other. And that something new emerges for us. And it's and it's that thing as a flow or a process that I'm very interested in. And the second thing then kind of connected to that has been around the idea that, that theory might move through that, that we might do things in the world by it through a better understanding or engagement with theory. Sarah Ahmed's point that theory does more closer to the skin that it gets. In particular, I've, I've been thinking about the idea of the revolution or of transformation of Aufhebung, of, of going beyond, of, of abolishing and internalizing contradictions. So we abolish them, but we internalize them and we move somewhere. We don't know where we move necessarily, but we, but we move somewhere and the process starts again. And that there isn't this idea of there being a kind of a transhistorical capitalist reality that might dominate us until the sun goes red dwarf and engulfs the planet particularly i've been taken i don't know why i've been taken with it but it obviously means something to me subconsciously the idea of the communization thesis there are kind of all sorts of kind of strands that that thesis comes out of that pushes for full communization through the abolition of the value form of ideas of value surplus value the extraction of a of value a world dominated by the circulation of value through economic and social production and reproduction. I've been, and, and obviously Endnotes write about this, Theory Communiste write about this. There's a whole bunch of stuff around the communization thesis. 
I've been trying to think about whether the kind of the alienating reality of capitalist life can be abolished immediately or whether we head down the transitional demands route. And I've been trying to consider the, the going full communist now going down that route is too psychologically damaging for the vast majority of the population and the people that we know. It's psychologically damaging that it potentially leads to civil war and barbarism rather than socialism. That, as Harvey argues or argued recently on his podcast, that the global economy has so much vested in it at its current, whatever it is, 80 trillion annual GDP, global um, domestic product, the size of the global economy that needs to kind of double every 25 years is is so huge that that stopping flows of accumulation in their tracks would lead to yeah would lead to civil war barbarism social breakdown lack of access to resources for for people lack of access to food clothing shelter water and how do we create transitional demands that might enable us to redefine those technologies organizations logistics distribution moments inside the system that would then enable us to maybe imagine something else and folded in on top of this is if we as i do favor the ipcc reports on on the climate crisis then we simply don't have time for transitional demands we need to communize, but we can't communize because we'll break the world if we communize. And if we don't communize, the world will be broken by us. So that's the second thing I've been trying to grapple with. The third thing in relation to kind of reading and thinking has been the podcasts that I've focused on. The first is Swampside Chats, operates out of the States. It's hugely important, I think, in enabling me to get a better understanding of communist theory, of the history of communist of communist thinking, the development of communist kind of philosophical positions, an understanding of the work of Lenin, of Trotsky, of Bernstein, a sense that we might be able to critique practice in current kind of political thinking and sociological thinking through an engagement with a richer engagement with theory. That's a hugely important podcast to me. I've learned loads from them. I celebrate them. You should go listen to them. Also love Tom O'Brien's from Alpha to Omega, which is like a which is a great podcast maybe a little more kind of focused on the economic and the historical materialism of our, of our kind of philosophical thinking. Love that podcast, really important to me. Again, learning about my own lack of knowledge, lack of awareness, my own lack of understanding, my own lack of explanatory power for the world. The third one that's been really important to me in the course of the last year has been Alf Hebunga Bunga, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. It has perhaps less of a kind of a theoretical communist engagement or analysis, but definitely more challenging around political theory and my understanding of different forms of class composition and class engagement globally in relation to crises individual crises that have cropped up in particular episodes on um on africa nigeria episodes on brexit have been kind of really important i think to try and help me develop my thinking the fourth thing that i've been reflecting on has been it's been a really challenging and interesting meeting with my mate john beach when he came down in march and i'd and, and i knew I knew him off of the twitter from years ago and he was amazingly helpful when my mum was ill and then passed away and i met him boxing day or something or maybe not maybe like the 28th of december in um, friends of ham in leeds 
and we had I don't know two or three hours of jibber jabber and it was very clear that um he'd got a really interesting kind of intellectual and activist take on on the world and on the left and on the fragility of the left and on the um at times vacuousness of the left and also definitely on the fractious nature the fractional nature the divided nature of the left and therefore what was possible and from that he's kind of carving out a niche in particular in relation to refugees and asylum seekers and support for support services for those individuals families groups in the north and he came down in i think it was in march he came down in march and we sat i remember sitting in leicester cathedral with him and just chewing the fat for uh, for maybe an hour maybe an hour and a half or something just about university life going to oxbridge challenges of working with groups that have been made marginal and have limited access to resources what society will bear in supporting those individuals and what our philosophical take on that might be in order to move our philosophical take forward and i found that hugely well it's hugely stimulating but it was also hugely challenging because my own i guess activist position in those with those groups has come through voluntary work that has been very kind of time limited and has come from a kind of less of an expert position and more of a kind of a an engaged user position where you're really worried about doing damage and harm so it's really kind of challenging in a number of ways for me but in a good way because you kind of learn about again you learn about your own limitations and get to understand about somebody else's more integrated or differently integrated view of the world around volunteering versus paid work around developing a kind of an intellectual position that is theoretical and practical and activist as well um, and and thought deeply thoughtful and caring and respectful so i kind of i look back on that as a really important moment of being challenged in the same way that i think i've been challenged through my reading and my reading that is dialectical and is about integration but also not about many becoming one but actually about a flow of many becoming one becoming many becoming many becoming something and that i find really challenging in a good way and i get that through those podcasts i've been listening to as well and maybe i'll get it when i think a little bit more about lacan and ideas of of, of what might be real what is the real in all of this what I've realized is that when I'm, a lot of this has been pointing towards the next book I'm writing on, on the hopeless university. And as part of that, I've been thinking about the last book I wrote, The Alienated Academic, which is just too theoretical. I realized that, that I think over the year, my writing has shifted a little bit. The writing that I've done, I haven't, I have not had the energy for writing at all really i've had a lot of energy for reading and thinking but not for writing and that's why we're back here with me talking but i do think that um my writing in the alienated academic had to be more theoretical because i was trying to position myself as someone who could understand the theory and therefore write the theory but it is not very accessible and i've picked it up two or three times in the last week and cringed when i have read what i have written because i know what i mean but it's unintelligible now that's not what the reviewer said and that's not what the series editor said when he pinged it back to me when they pinged it back to me and people have been kind but it's too theoretical and i wouldn't write that again now i said this to enya helms is writing a or was writing a, a review of it for pedagogy theory and society is that pedagogy culture and society i think that's the journal for ansgar allen and i was trying to say to her that i would not it would not be the if i wrote that now it would not be now what it was then that what i needed from it then is not what i need from it now and what i need to write now is much more like the book i wrote on sorry the paper i wrote earlier in the year on authoritarian neoliberalism and 
poetic epistemology, which sounds like a load of conceptual drivel. And I'm not sure my dad would want to read it, but it does try to integrate a more poetic understanding of the world. So the work, work of Audre Lorde in that, much more important to me. And in fact, I've been trying to engage throughout the year with a lot more writers of colour, black writers, female writers, indigenous writers in order to get a better understanding of the world. I'm increasingly coming to the position that I, I can't understand or make sense or even try to change the world by starting from my own position at the centre as an entitled white male professor. It simply won't wash or do. And I think that by reading those people's work, which is much more beautifully written than mine ever will be, there's I have a sense of a sense of trying to of trying to move away from the overly theoretical to work on the kind of conceptual really to think about ways in which I might bring those concepts a little more to life than through my dry theoretical writing so I see the kind of the theoretical and the conceptual the horizons of those in for me now in tension even though I might see the theoretical and the conceptual as the same sort of thing I I, I guess I kind of don't now. I, I see the I see that the kind of Marxist theory that I was trying to integrate, which was broad brush Marxist theory, and I think in the alienated academic, I was trying to bring too many positions into conversation with each other because a I was scared of being found out, and b I didn't think I could understand the world by taking any one of those positions. Whereas now I have a much more humanist position, I think, much more dialectical, much less Althusserian position to to take up. I think so. The writing's quite important in the next year and it'll be less of what it was and it will be a movement. There will be a movement towards something a little bit more humane, I hope. And that brings me on to doing the things that I have done this year. And the doing stuff has been, I suppose, quite problematic, quite difficult for me, in particular because two pieces of voluntary work that I've engaged in have failed or I feel like they have or are failing in part because I had to leave one of them. Issues of due diligence there in the space, issues of personality and people in the space. So I needed to leave. I needed to leave that. And I wondered whether doing voluntary work. So I've done a lot of voluntary work. Morsel Supporters Trust, Birmingham Christmas Shelter Crisis at Christmas, School Governor Forest Lodge in Leicester. Currently, School Governor at the um, Pupil Referral Unit. Yeah, the Primary Pupil Referral Unit in Leicester, which is going really well. I think, I hope, do some work there on well staff well-being in the in the new year. I was thinking about voluntary work and and um, and whether it was always it's always designed to fail as an activity that happens outside of your normal working environment over which you have less control, less agency, fewer resources, and that different networks to to bring into play. You have to decode the space differently. Haven't built up as much social or intellectual or emotional capital to spend in the space. It's wondering whether voluntary work was always designed to fail, and it does feel like a lot of mine have the things I've I've engaged with have ended, not as I would have wanted, and that might be down to me, right? <laughs> but or it might just be it might be down to people, I guess. And then I was having a chat with um with with her indoors, and and we were talking about whether this is true of all work actually that all work is designed to to cause grief and and potentially to kind of to to fail us um, and actually it's much better for us to be defined not by those things but by ourselves who we become in the process who are what who are we becoming in the process of engaging voluntarily and in um, paid work through our labor and our labor power and that we we risk in this world being alienated wherever we are and to seek salvation in voluntary work is um is a fool's errand really 
And so one of the things that, that's happened to me when I've been thinking about this has been to throw much more of my energy into the union, into UCU, my union at work, thinking really about um, ways of, of reorganizing, recognizing what might be done in that space to develop solidarity, thinking about work in terms of organizing, in terms of negotiating, and in terms of casework. And how do we support people on the ground? I do quite a lot of casework. I, quite, I don't like having to do it, but I like the engagement with, with people and trying to understand the issues that are driving them. Quite enjoy that. Also quite enjoy, always enjoy it when we when we get a when we when we when we get some success there. Also within that trying to think about ways to work better with HR in order to in order to try to move agendas forward. So I do see that there is something about the challenge of building solidarity in that space that that I think as an act of doing I want to I want to take forward and an act of as in the in the in the moment of trying to abolish work from the inside rather than to create a space outside that enables me to ameliorate the worst of what happens to us in our labor so the last sort of four things i want to quickly reflect on are in terms of being being and becoming the first is in relation to football and i i think i feel that football is much more um secondary in my life for me now it's increasingly become much more secondary in the course of the last year i'll come on to one of the reasons why in a minute which is which is caring for my nan but i I feel like it is not as much of my essence as it once was and certainly following walsall does not feel as as much of my essence as it once was see people getting very vexed about the fact that we got relegated last season that since 2008 we really have done nothing bar one season that it's just been flatlining mid-table obscurity in league one no cup runs no nothing and it was ever thus you know other than occasional flirting with divisions above us below us occasionally very occasionally winning the old fourth division title being a generally unsuccessful mediocre uh, and or average league one team third tier team is is how we are defined and it kind of sums the town up a little bit sadly and i think within this people i see people who get very vexed about it and i want to go obviously on a saturday i'm looking forward to going to scunthorpe away with my nephew on boxing day but it just doesn't it doesn't and that's and that's because i'm going to scunthorpe away with my my nephew on boxing day it's because i'm going with him to talk to him and play music with him and learn from him and maybe see some friends hopefully paul maybe daz will be there be good to see them catch up with them uh i still miss paul guys though if i used to love going to away games in the middle of winter with paul guys and trolling him by putting my gloves on and uh, as a man who would travel home and away in just a, a, a tra- jeans and a t-shirt anyway um such a shout out to him but I do feel that this whole thing about projecting your complete identity onto a football team, set of players, in particular a set of young men who are selling their labour power and who know that in 18 months' time they're going to be somewhere else, somewhere else where they're equally unloved, is simply not is simply an aberration. If we expect them to love our club as we love our club, it's a complete mismatch. It just sets people up to fail, to get angry, to project, to be hateful. Now, sure, clearly, those young men do not want to do a, or women, if we're watching women's football. And I've really enjoyed watching Leicester, um, Leicester Women's Football Club playing at Corn this year. To expect those people to love their club 
as we love our club when we think about how we exist at work during the week and then project everything onto this onto saturday and our identity is framed around saturday or tuesday night it's just a nonsense it's a job of work they might be playing a game into which we're projecting all of our effective labor our emotionality our psychology our repression all of those things but it's a job of work and we forget this and i find it laughable if i'm honest and depressing i find it laughable and depressing Anyway, so that's an interesting one for me in terms of, of, of football becoming secondary, but the people I go to the football with to deconstruct what's going on on the pitch, to talk about what's going on on their life is hugely important. And football was always important for me, particularly when I was in therapy, because when I was playing, it was just take the ball, pass the ball, move. And you didn't think about anything else for an hour. And if it's going to watch the game, you've got a pitch that's 110 yards by 75 or whatever. You've got 90 minutes, you've got rules, you've got, a, you've, got a, you've got codes and you watch that and you don't have to think about why is it I can't get on that train? What happens if I fuck up at this presentation? What happens if I can't walk into the classroom and teach? What happens if I, if I have a breakdown on the way to this event? Don't have to think about that or the, the reality of that. Think about the, you can just think about what's going on. And so for a long time, football was a, a useful distraction. It was a way of reconsidering the world. It was an escape from what was going on in my head. And it is less so, and in particular, it's less so when I consider that the world's burning, that the economy is heading yet again for cliff edge, or perhaps even a worse cliff edge, that we have the rise of fascist or alt-right, far-right governments around the world. And I kind of think, what is the point of football then? Why are we flying people to Qatar to play in that pointless um, championship or that pointless game? So football is much less part of my essence, I think, in that. And I need to kind of reconsider, I guess, why that why that is. And part of the reason for that, I think, is that because I spent much of the last 15, 16 months caring for my nan with my, my aunt does the bulk of that. I tend to go over twice a week, try and get her to eat, sing with her, talk to her, get photos out from her massive box of unindexed unstructured photos going back to the 1920s try and drag some of those out and get her to sort of talk about some of the memories if, if we can get them you know but there's a 102 year old woman who has lived all her life in Walsall who brought me up for for a while who I love dearly who is who is passing away and going to see her and talking to her and, and trying to move beyond her dementia is way more important on a Saturday afternoon than going to the football. If you were to ask my friends about me, they would say that Walsall was hardwired into my DNA. So part of this then is, how do I conceive of myself if both the football club and my nan are passing away or passing beyond my life a little? And I find that that's a really elegiac thing. You know, there's 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 a lot in that the penultimate thing that i wanted to sort of mention was a beautiful book that i read by sunita puri only maybe a month ago so i think it's from it's not from this year it's from 2018 and it's about grief and death and palliative care that good night it's called and she writes about being a palliative care doctor in in the states always with this focus upon that we might have an idea of what the best outcome is how do we deal with those conversations, those difficult conversations that we have to have with people about outcomes, about outcomes that are not ones that we hoped for or wished for because people are going, they're passing away, they're moving beyond us, they're moving beyond their own life. 
part of it is about the dignity of, of asking what outcomes do you want what outcomes would the ill person you're caring for want and trying to keep that in mind trying to keep in mind the complexity of the responses you're going to get based on emotion blood ties experience history based on bad experiences of hospital or doctors or whatever it might be and it's just been a really powerful thing for me in terms of thinking about my engagement with students my engagement with postgraduate students some of whom are struggling my engagement in my voluntary work which has been problematic at times my engagement with my with my undergraduate students as well what do they need from particular sessions or in terms of feedback what does it mean in terms of how i write feedback on a on a peer-reviewed um, submission for instance so that journal article that comes in it can be very difficult for people when you give they have to give negative feedback so i've started writing them letters thanking them and then explaining how i think what i think is worthwhile and where they might take their work if it if it if it is to be negative or positive so i'm thinking very much about these these individual moments what they might become that they might become better moments for people that we might do that we might behave in a more authentic and humane and human way with people whilst accepting that there are some things we will ask them and some things that we will say to them and some thoughts we will have about their experience and the place they're in that are extremely uncomfortable for them that also might lead to disappointment regret argument disagreement all of those things and that they sometimes they are difficult but that actually trying to see the humanity in the other side is is a fundamental starting point and i think that this brings me back again then to my thinking about hegel and and in particular the way in which marx tries to invert hegel and infuses him with a different kind of humanity really so the last thing that i want to say or speak about is being out of therapy that's probably the biggest thing that's happened this year I exited in May, May the 13th was my last therapy session. Really big thing having been in therapy three times since 2000 and having been in therapy with the same therapist for a decade. Following a really bleak period of depression in 2008, early 2009 and then having another breakdown at the time that my mum passed away. First breakdown was, was in 2000. And so these are these this was really important seminal moment in my life being in therapy with this same amazing person and there is something in there about well well who am I who am I now and who I am now is someone who doesn't need to be in therapy I'm not corrected or I'm not well am I well I might be well but I'm not but I'm and I'm well enough let's say I'm well enough I'm well enough not to be in therapy but I am not I'm not sorted I'm collected in a different way or I can collect myself in different ways and I don't feel the need to be phoning or having extra sessions or extra time with a particular person. I feel better able to understand my reactions, to question them, to think them through, to know that I'm going to screw up and know that I'm going to fuck up and to know that there are, there are going to be problems for me in my life that I can kind of deal with with those I love around me. And that this isn't because necessarily of who I am being being bad or corrosive or toxic and so being out of therapy is one of the most beautiful things it leaves me with flooded with nostalgia it leaves me flooded with regret and loss and grief because i've lost somebody and i've lost a thing it's given me way more time because i had a lot of therapy at sometimes it would be twice or three times a week so i've got a lot more time to spend listening to podcasts swamp side chats that's why i'm listening to you 
and it's also given me time to to start running as well there's something about running and running through the world and running what that might mean what that might bring me as a as a person with a with a kind of a focus on potentially trying to be trying to run a uh, half marathon later in the year so these are all so this is where i am this is where i am on december the 23rd 2019 looking out my window upstairs um not in a not recording this in a coffee shop in in somewhere in the midlands and um with lots of background noise just to piss people off so anyway i will i'm going now i'll uh, i'll leave you with some more ray elbow and the magic beans and uh i'll see you at some point